Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Carrie Johnson. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're at the CX San Francisco Forum, and we're joined by senior analyst Anjali Lai to discuss the consumer energy around values. Welcome, Anjali. Thank you. So I think let's just start with what do we mean by consumer energy? Sure. So consumer energy is uh, the term for this emotional force that we have been measuring uh, really for a few years now um, at Forrester. And it's essentially um, a force that captures consumer mood, emotion, risk sensitivity. Um, And it's something that we have dug into because we found that um, it is one of the most predictive emotional undercurrents when Mm -hmm. understanding how and why consumers do what they do. Um, Specifically, how consumers are drawn towards brand experiences or are repelled from brand experiences. And it feels like there's a nice intersection between what we've been seeing in the market today with consumers and employees being very values-based or values-driven in what you just described as consumer energy. So where are we seeing those two things come together? Yeah, so it there certainly is an intersection, and it's because um, it's very, very difficult for um, brands, or specifically for chief marketing officers, oftentimes CEOs as well, to take a stand on a potentially controversial issue, um, whether it's political, social, or you know environmental. And yet consumers and employees are increasingly demanding that businesses do show a commitment to one side of the argument. And so because it's so difficult to know whether what a business is saying and how the business is saying it is really resonating with consumers and employees or is in fact uh, causing you know these groups to sort of um, react negatively to that message, we dive into consumer energy. Um, so despite you know what consumers are saying on the surface, despite the buzz that's uh, fueling online chatter, despite the peaks and valleys of, uh, of online sentiment, um, we can use consumer energy to uh, look under the hood and understand what are the emotional reactions that are um, really driving consumers towards the message or away from the message. So are we seeing executives today understand what consumers are really wanting here and that it's not just necessarily a messaging play or um, that consumers are actually quite smart and understanding that it's not just you know seeing an ad about something or website mission statement that they want the follow through from an experience perspective or something as as deep as like a supply chain perspective yeah, I mean, it's definitely true that consumers are looking for that, um, and that's reflected in our data, right? So 71% of consumers say that they have a clear sense um, of what they already stand for, and 41% are looking for companies uh, that are closely associated with social, political, environmental issues that mirror those same values. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that earnestness, they're looking at not just what companies are saying, but how they're following through with certain action. The tension arises when um, executives will make a statement or make this formal promise and then realize how difficult it is to follow through. So 78% of executives say that they're failing to follow through with the longer term initiatives that they are often speaking about because um, you know walking the walk is a lot harder than uh, than talking the talk. 
it feels like there's this pretty intense moment of time in time that's happening right now around values and expectations of companies and taking a side or stance that I can have a lot of empathy for executives around in terms of how challenging that would be. What's your advice when you talk to executives around the staying power of this particular moment? Is it a moment? Do you believe that? Or do you believe that this is the way consumers will approach brands and relationships? Yeah. So that's, it's a great question because it's very tempting to think that this is sort of a passing fad. You know, we see hashtag boycotts, mm-hmm. you know, spike on social media. Cancel and then, culture. Right. Exactly. Right. Yep. Quickly fizzle out. Um, but what's different about this is that um, this is actually a trend that has been happening for a long time and it's been gaining steam for, you know, uh, several years, and we've been detecting this at Forrester. So we've seen consistently over the past, say, five to seven years, that consumers are increasingly tuning into company values. And we hit a tipping point in 2017 when 52% of U.S. online adults said that they actively consider company values when making a purchase, um, which has been trending upwards year over year. So that interestingly corresponds with some pretty good economic times too, though, mm-hmm. right? Even though there were a lot of there was a lot of tumult. Um, everywhere else. I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, because you've seen the data, though, that people can make those choices if they have the luxury of making choices, right? I mean, if you're very time and or money strapped, do you have the luxury of making a choice based on the value of the, of the company or based on location even? If you don't have any other mm-hmm. food um, options or Walmart options, how much does value how much do values matter yeah it's a great point so what we've seen in our data is that um, this value sensitivity doesn't differ by uh, level of income oh, interesting. Um, or by region so mm. you know place of, of residence so urban and rural consumers have the same demands the same level of sensitivity to company values um, you know higher income and lower income consumers have the same as well and what that leads me to believe is that um, consumers want to buy from companies that are uh, um, sort of contributing to these larger um, issues and that are evidently contributing to what consumers perceive to be overall well-being. But when they're strapped, um, you know, financially strapped or when they have limited options, they're forced to sacrifice their values to um, purchase, you know, their to fulfill their basic needs, essentially. And so what that's saying is that it's not that values don't matter in those contexts, is that consumers can't act on the values that they really care about just because of what's available to them. Right. So as brands are um, increasingly storming onto the scene with these, um, you know, strong values propositions and are um, offering unprecedented levels of uh, convenience or, um, you know, digital uh, channels to deliver what customers need more quickly, um, they are undercutting um, some of the larger players and and are allowing consumers to act on this deeper emotional need of you know of aligning with their values um, and and they've sort of opened that realm of of competition that realm of possibility. Mm. So we see that for example in some of the direct to consumer disruptors like Warby Parker or like um, you know Casper um, mm-hmm. and others that that are all of a sudden making it accessible to consumers to buy a product and evidently uh, uh, contribute to a larger purpose. Is this just a B2C phenomenon? Are B2B firms experiencing the same sort of behaviors from their customers? Because we know those B2B customers are consumers too. So is there kind of a 
relationship there. We're seeing a bit of a lag perhaps, but it's still occurring in, in the B2B space. Yeah, it's um, it's common to think that uh, values only apply in the B2C context um, because these companies are um, you know, on the front lines mm-hmm. and are dealing with these hypersensitive consumers every day. Um, but uh, what we're finding in the research is that um, B2B firms that ignore values will uh, still lose business as they partner with B2C brands um, and they deliberately form relationships with these companies that are conscious of their own values. Um, and uh, we've seen examples of this with uh, the e-commerce platform Shopify, for instance, which had come under fire for um, uh, fueling the online uh, store of the alt-right publisher Breitbart, mm-hmm. uh, which essentially drove merchants to switch to other platforms. So there's this really interesting uh, dynamic where consumers are now looking at the entire ecosystem, including um, a company's partnerships and vendors and suppliers um, when evaluating the impact of, of the company values. I would imagine here, this is where employees come in to play as well, right? Especially in B2B, but certainly in B2C firms. Mm-hmm. Are you going to attract talent that is interested in, in your values or not and retain uh, uh, employees based on the same. This feels like a fairly huge issue. And there's so much exposure now, right, of those company values, including on places like Glassdoor. Can you talk about how you line these two things up? Yes. So even though this started primarily as a consumer movement, um, we've seen that this values-based sensitivity has um, you know, infiltrated rank and file, and now consumers are bringing the same expectations to work. So as employees, uh, we find that you know most candidates look for um, uh, jobs by checking sites like Glassdoor before they're applying, and they're often looking for um, remarks about the company culture and specifically about the company uh, values. And um, we find that um, what's interesting is that our data proves that having employees act on the values that they care about is the single biggest contributor to employee satisfaction. Um, So 35% of U.S. employees, for instance, say that finding the sense of meaning at work is the most important factor in their overall sort of happiness. Um, And only 20% say that it's being well paid. So increasingly, employees are tuning into the company values and are um, uh, actually prioritizing that over some of the other benefits that they typically you know would would get from their um, experience what we also see is that when employees uh, feel like they're able to act on the values that they care about in the company they are more likely to stay with the business they're more likely to be productive um, at the company and they turn into advocates so they're more likely to recommend the products and services as opposed to employees who are just sort of in the daily grind and not conscious of the values that they're working towards but what if the employee values and consumer values are not the same or customer values are not the same have we have we seen this i actually can't think of an example off the top of my head but maybe you can that seems like a collision waiting to happen. Let's just go back to more empathy for the executive here and the complexity of managing through this, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's absolutely complex. And, and the thing is that, you know, val- um, employees and consumers are just two of the inputs in making the decision, right? And uh, as we have already been talking about, others like shareholders mm-hmm. and, um, you know, your suppliers and other stakeholders in the entire ecosystem are um, dialing up their uh, you know, conversation or uh, about values, and they are pressuring the executives to take a stand. And so, exactly, there's a lot of empathy because this is such a complex topic to navigate. Um, but what we found works the best is that executives have to start by looking internally, and they really have to make the call. It has to come from the top. 
And uh, and so that means that the executive has to um, know and own the company's values um, and then work with employees and then with consumers to co-create how those values are expressed in the employee and consumer experience. Um, oftentimes, we actually find that um, values are more powerful or more influential in the employee experience than in the consumer experience. And so, again, starting internally is important rather than just um, immediately sort of jumping to saying something that uh, you know, appeases the consumer. Warby Parker is a good example of this, where the brand is obviously, you know, one that we consider to be a values-driven company. Um, but uh, the founders discovered that um, values are really not the main driver for consumer purchases. So consumers purchase Warby Parker glasses, number one, for style, number two, for price, and number three, because of the company's social mission. But employees say that the social mission is the number one reason that they show up to work every day. So the company um, is very overt about expressing its values internally, um, whereas it sort of buries that element um, in the external, you know, consumer-facing marketing material. So, um, you know, figuring out how to um, ease the tension between employee and consumer values um, is one sort of challenge. And one way to uh, to account for that or to bypass that is to focus on which are the audiences that are going to be most reactive to the values that you are expressing. And oftentimes it's, it's the employees over the consumers. Speaking of having empathy for the executive, how do you know if it's worth doing this? This is a huge investment, um, not only to likely, maybe it's not a huge investment to determine what your values are, but to invest there beyond just marketing and messaging, but living and breathing these values and all of the work that, you know, goes into that. Yeah, it's a great question because it's extremely difficult to link a values stance to a business outcome. So, you know, there are examples where um, companies have taken a very bold stand and have, uh, you know, reap the benefits in terms of um, increased market capitalization, or um, maybe you know, short-term revenue, or short, you know, short-term stock um, uh, increase, uh, or really they you know will take a bold stand and then um, have to deal with the backlash, which uh, can be more overwhelming than the benefit. Um, so, you know, two examples that I like to look at in com- you know combination are um, uh, Chick Fil A, which a few years ago took um, a sort of bold stand when it um, expressed very conservative values and uh, the uh, the executives held like a Chick-fil-A appreciation day to honor these core conservative values that the company was standing for. And um, it ended up being incredibly successful. So within just a matter of hours, the company broke one day sales records. Um, and, uh, and, you know, within a year, sales saw a, a significant increase. Um, but then you counterpoint that with the example of Papa John's, which also expressed, um, you know, highly conservative values. And um, as a result, the uh, company lost, um, you know, sales even within a matter of one quarter. And the company ended its partnership with the NFL and, uh, and the CEO was forced to step down. Um, so it can seem very unpredictable. Um, and there's no linear relationship between taking stand on values and this business outcome. 
But having said that, the brands that do it right, meaning that the brands that are clear about their own internal values and find the alignment between those internal values and what consumers and other uh, stakeholders are um, aligned to, um, see long-term gains. So for instance, um, among the companies that uh, enable um, you know, consumers and employees to live the values that they care about, 81% offer a top-tier customer experience compared to just 65% of, of companies on average. And uh, 37% of these values-oriented firms report double-digit you know, year-on-year revenue growth compared to just 32% of the average. So there is certainly a long-term um, you know, uh, benefit to this, but it's about you know saying the right thing at the right time in the right way that allows that. Can we talk about the Nike example for a minute? Um, it's been over discussed for sure, but what I think is really interesting about it was your analysis of it right after it. It wasn't such a really calculated risk after all, was it? I'm talking, you know, with mm-hmm. the Colin Kaepernick um, yep. campaign. Can you talk about why? I think it highlights and illustrates really nicely the power of understanding consumer energy um, at a at a very basic level, actually. Yeah, definitely. So we say that, you know, Nike sort of knew who were the consumers that were paying its energy bill in the sense that, you know, they knew how to say something that dialed up the components of consumer energy, um, which, you know, there are four components, right? So one is identity. So it's feeling connected to a brand or a community. The second is trust, you know, feeling like the company is um, uh, going to follow through on its promises. Uh, the third is novelty, which is being sort of open to something you know new or, or uh, some sort of um, uh, adventure that the brand is offering. And the fourth is efficacy. So feeling like company is empowering the consumer. So what Nike did is understood who the core consumers were um, and what kind of message at that particular moment in time when the Colin Kaepernick issue was such a um, you know such a hot topic um, Nike knew how to say the right kind of thing to dial up those four dimensions of consumer emotion or consumer energy and as a result despite all of the controversy that we saw online um, with you know consumers tearing their uh, Nike gear or burning you know their shoes um, even with all of that um, happening on the surface, the consumers that really mattered to the business did become more loyal, did become more trusting of the brand, were more likely to follow the brand when it offered a new product or experience in the next moment, um, felt empowered by this particular message. And as a result, um, you know, Nike's move ended up being hugely um, successful and a great example of a company getting this right. My guess is that this is because Nike knew its core customer base versus guessing. Right. right. They knew their core customer base and they knew their own values. Right. Mm-hmm. So, again, it started internally. Um, this Nike um, move, right, wasn't necessarily out of character. The brand had always been featuring um, these athletes that were sort of going against the grain in some way, uh, you know, for, for years. Mm-hmm. And so this is just in alignment with what Nike has been doing for uh, for you know a long time and has been really successful around and what Nike has used to carve out its own niche. Um, and uh, and so it continued in that same style and aligned it to what its core consumers were looking for. And that's where the magic happens. Mm-hmm. And are you seeing a different shape to consumer energy for those companies like a Nike who have put a stake in the ground and are doing something about that stake in the ground versus sort of the general brands um, consumer energy? 
Yeah. So we're seeing that um, these values based companies tend to elicit a higher level of consumer energy or generate more consumer energy compared to the company on average. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, you know, we've uh, looked at this research uh, very recently. So as of August of 2019, we've seen that um, overall consumer energy in the U.S. Is, is, is a 37, right? So this is on a scale from zero to 100. The aggregate of all four dimensions that I uh, just talked about, identity, trust, novelty, and efficacy, um, is, is a, a 37. Um, but when you look at consumer energy related to values-based companies, that energy level actually increases to a 41. Um, and specifically, what we see is that um, energy along the identity dimension and the trust dimension um, measurably increase. So what that's saying is that values-based companies are um, uh, you know, measurably dialing up consumers' feeling of connection to the brand, um, the feeling that they are part of some sort of tribe or community around this this brand, and they're um, in this you know experience that's anchored around a core set of values, and they're more likely to trust the brand, which is you know an easy thing to say, but it's something that again executives and and uh, companies are clamoring for, um, especially today, right? Is um, have establishing that uh, relationship where the consumer is confident enough to believe that the company is going to do what it say is going to do what it says it's going to do and has the um, consumer's best interest in mind. So taking that value stand uh, does you know dial up those two uh, components, which then generate more sort of positive energy overall. The other thing that it does according to your research, which, yes, I've read, um, <laughs> it, is that it, it gives a more of a license to innovate. And we're here at Forrester's Customer Experience Forum, where innovation is obviously a big topic. I mean, we're in San Francisco, so you can't get away from the word innovation. Um, can you talk about that, too? Because I think this is a really interesting component of it, that, that license or, you know, it's okay you know, that consumers feel better about these firms innovating and potentially failing, which I know is something that everyone is so sort of deathly afraid of, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, because values dial up these dimensions of identity and trust, exactly to your point, it allows brands to take more of a risk with the innovations that they create and that they deliver to clients because you're now ensuring that consumers are going to stay with you, right? Um, and uh, and they are more likely to uh, be willing to forgive you if you make a mistake. So high energy consumers, for instance, um, are you know far more likely to forgive a brand um, and continue to do business with the company um, rather than low energy consumers. Um, but also because this values play is not necessarily uh, dialing up anything on the novelty dimension, that's an interesting intersection with what you're mm -hmm. talking about because we're seeing that CMOs are, um, you know, in this race to create some sort of innovation that um, expresses some kind of novelty, right? You want to delight your customer. You want to impress the customer with something new. But the CMO's ability to um, impress consumers is waning over time. Um, and that's because they are often overly focused on the novelty element and they're less focused on things like, um, you know, does this uh, innovation actually make the consumer trust me? Or does this innovation actually make the consumer feel emotionally connected to the company. Um, so because taking a value stand, you know, pulls the trigger on those two emotional elements, it creates a much 
uh, sort of safer environment for the brand to innovate in, in sort of new ways and strive for um, something beyond just uh, sort of novelty. Um, the other piece is that as consumer energy um, increases, we find that consumers are more likely to um, be willing to open their wallet for an experience that makes them feel special and for a high quality product. And so that means that high energy consumers are also willing to reward companies for innovation, uh, you know, with, um, you know, their dollars, um, as opposed to sort of, you know, take note of it and then not really have a you know strong engagement that follows up with that. So are the four dimensions that you discuss weighted or of, are they of equal importance? Yeah, so they are weighted. Ah. Uh-huh. And it's because um, we've seen in the research, right, what we found in the data is that uh, even though all four components are necessary for consumers to um, engage with a brand mm-hmm. or to do something new, um, it's really the identity and the trust factors mm-hmm. that are the stronger predictors of engaging with a brand. Got it. Um, and so we do weight identity and trust more heavily than novelty and efficacy, um, which again is another reason why taking that stand on values um, in the effective way mm-hmm. can really unlock a new dimension of value mm-hmm. for customers and, and give brands that permission to work at this you know deeper level. When you talk about trust, it immediately makes me think about privacy, even though I know that's not the only piece of trust in the way that we look at this. That said, privacy is a big deal. It should be a big deal. And putting in context, you know, Apple's moves on privacy on the one hand, gaining even more trust with its base versus Facebook's, right? You really see some polarization around this. Like, what do you stand for? And are you protecting me? It feels like it's both an element of this consumer energy and also a value at some point, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, um, you know, the company's position on privacy is something that we consider to be a value, right? Mm. So just like a company can take a stand on, I don't know, climate change or gun control, it can also take a stand on privacy. And uh, we consider that to be, you know, a, an example of a, of a corporate value. And the uh, examples that you bring up of Apple and Facebook are interesting because we've been tracking consumer energy around these brands for some time now. And we found that um, perhaps, as you might expect, the energy around Facebook has continuously waned. Mm -hmm. Um, So over the last year, for instance, in 2018, every single time that Facebook was in the news for um, some sort of um, mistake around handling of consumer data, consumer energy not only dropped, but it dropped to a new low, which means that consumers were, again, measurably sort of losing um, uh, the ability to trust the brand, to feel connected to the brand, um, even though they weren't changing their behavior by necessarily, you know, leaving Facebook in droves or deleting their accounts and causing some mass, you know, mass exodus from the platform, um, they were becoming less sort of emotionally engaged or mentally engaged um, and therefore less receptive to any new kind of innovation that Facebook was offering or, Maybe like or rolling portal. out. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, Anjali, we covered a lot of Waterfront in this episode, both the consumer energy, the employee energy around this concept of being values based. We also talked about empathy for the executive who's trying to determine which way to move. And um, it can be pretty chaotic, right? Headlines about, you know, people doing this well, people doing this not so well. So what is the one thing that you want executives and leaders to take away from this conversation as they may or may not be considering this move? 
for their firm? Yeah, I think, you know, whether executives are considering this or not, I think they at least have to make that decision consciously because there's really, we're arriving at a point where there's no way to ignore this topic. Um, And even though it might feel like executives have to make very difficult choices um, or, you know, do some hard self-reflection that feels new um, and uh, sort of take this stand that might seem unconventional or, you know, push the limits of their comfort zone. Um, I think the most important thing to know is that there is some uh, clarity or there is some rigor around how you can do this successfully, um, how you can navigate these otherwise capricious consumer emotions by tapping into the consumer energy that's underlying all of that um, and by relying on the data um, and the science of emotion really that um, uh, will you know help executives do this effectively and do this successfully right thanks for joining us yeah of course thanks if you like what you heard today subscribe to Forrester's what it means podcast on iTunes Google Play and Spotify or your favorite podcast player To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.